Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to my podcast on the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, if you're listening, thank you. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review. Leave a five-star rating. It's something that takes hardly any time, but us as a staff at Inside Carolina greatly appreciate it and it really helps us out. But Carolina is coming off a season-opening win, 31-6. to Going into this game, I kind of was expecting Carolina to blow Syracuse out from start to finish. Obviously, that didn't happen. You have two new coordinators on Syracuse. I think I didn't take that fully into account that Carolina was going to have to make as much adjustments as they had to. And going into halftime, it went from, you know, let's let's blow Syracuse out to let's find any way possible to win. This is going to be a year filled with even more unpredictability than we're already used to seeing in the ACC. So the fact that Carolina is 1-0 right now is a good sign. The fact that the defense kept Carolina in this game is a positive sign. It's a it's a sign that this defense under Jay Bateman is trending in the right direction. Carolina can't control what team is in front of them, you know, whether it's Syracuse or Clemson. But the fact that Carolina went out there defensively and held Syracuse's offense in check, that's an impressive sign. And it's a sign of a group that is maturing. And I wanted to talk about a couple of the guys that when I watched the game, you know, they really jumped out to me. And Starting with that defense, you have to start with guys like Tamari Fox and Ray Vahasek. All offseason, that group along the defensive line has heard they're the question mark on the defense. This defense could be really good with an All-American in Chaz Surratt. You have a great linebacker in Jeremiah Gimmel. Your secondary is improving. The defensive line was the question mark. Mac Brown mentioned in his post-game press conference that he's been challenging this defensive line. And again, you can't control who you play against, but the defensive line showed up and they made an impact in this game. Tamari Fox set the tone. Ray Vahasek set the tone, blasting Syracuse center back into DeVito for sacks. So when the talent increases lined up across from you, this is going to be a good building block game for that young Carolina defensive line. And then you have to talk about the back end of the defense. A guy like Storm Duck, I was really impressed with all reports at a camp where how much better Storm Duck looks, and he lived up to every bit of the hype. When Syracuse challenged him on deep balls, part of me was just waiting for him to you know, make a bad play or grab at the receiver or take down the receiver and pick up a pass interference. But credit to Dre Bly and the coaching staff because that was a kid who trusts his coaching. He trusts his technique. He trusts that he's going to be where he needs to be to make a play, and he did. So those were the three main people I wanted to talk about on the defensive side of the ball, guys that really impressed me. Then switching to offense, everybody's probably expecting to talk about Sam Howell every week. And he comes out, he throws one touchdown, throws two interceptions, doesn't have his best game. Carolina still found a way to win. Syracuse's 3-3-5 defense, it was designed to take away the deep attack from Carolina. And guys like... Diami Brown and Daz Newsom, they're at their best when they're vertical threats and stretching the defense. So the first player I wanted to talk about offensively is Bo Corrales. I, 
I don't think he gets the credit he deserves in this offense and he'll never put up the stats of a, a typical wide receiver one, but man, you have to love what he does in this offense when Carolina can't stretch out the field vertically. He's able to use his bigger body to create separation. Right now in their games, I don't think Daz Newsom and Deami Brown are that great of route runners to create that separation. So when you have a guy like a Bo Corrales, he, he doesn't have to be the best route runner in the world with how big his body is and how much separation he's able to create against a smaller defensive back. So he's a great safety option for a quarterback like Sam Howe when he can't be taking those shots deep. He's going to have to stop hurtling, though, because eventually he's going to get hurt doing that. Eventually, they're going to watch so much film on him and be like, hey, you once this guy catches the ball, he's going to try to go high. So if you go high and meet him, that could be a problem. So my only advice to Bo Corrales would be stop with the hurtling, You know, try to make a guy miss with maybe a juke or a truck stick, so, something besides a hurdle, just to mix it up, show them something else. And then the other person I want to talk about on offense is Michael Carter. You look at the box score, yeah, Michael Carter had the most rushing yards, but you see Javante Williams with three rushing touchdowns, and you're like, oh, Javante Williams had a really good game. Michael Carter is Carolina's X factor when it comes to this offense. You could use him out of the backfield. He he looks like a more patient runner this year. He's just a real shifty back where you could give him the ball 15 times a game, and it feels like you should have gave him the ball 20 times. You give him the ball 20 times and it feels like you should have gave him the ball 25 times. It never feels like you could give a guy like Michael Carter the ball enough. And I think it's a formula of you give Michael Carter the ball more, you're going to find yourself in more winning situations. Now, Carolina's offensive line is still a huge question mark. Josh Azudu doesn't play. Hopefully you get Josh Azudu back either this week or let him rest this week against Charlotte, let him rest the bye week, back for Boston College. But that offensive line definitely has a lot of question marks, and we're going to talk to Mike Ingersoll about that in the next segment. But overall, the fact that Carolina's 1-0 is a positive, and it's something that in this kind of season, you'll take every week if Carolina could just keep finding ways to be 1-0, as cliche as it sounds. So we're going to get to Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. But first, I have to remind everybody about Johnny T-Shirt. Johnny T-Shirt is your go-to shop for all things Carolina Apparel. They have been serving the fans on Franklin Street since 1983. It's a family-owned, alumni-owned business. And especially in times like this, they're great people to support. They have everything you could want for football. They have your jerseys. They have your T-shirts. They have your hats. They've got your hoodies. They've got your cold gear. Whatever you could possibly want, Johnny T-shirt has it. And they've got the best customer service to back it up. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. All right, let's get to Mike and EJ. We have the two lettermen back, EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll. Guys, Carolina is coming off a big season opening win, um, a game that had a little bit of everything. They ultimately cover the spread against Syracuse with a big second half. They win 31-6. to Mike, starting with you, what was your biggest takeaways from this game? Uh, I would say that the offseason, the weird offseason, has clearly affected Carolina from a preparation standpoint, and I would I would be willing to bet that it's going to affect 
every team and every player across the country to some extent. Um, you know, they basic, basic fundamental things that you cover in camp um, that are always sloppy in the first game, but seem substantially sloppier this game. Things like tackling, um, your run fits on offense, right, for the offensive line, um, mental assignments, right, so, so missed assignments uh, in, your, in, your, in, your, um, in your play responsibilities, that kind of stuff. Th- those things are always a little touch and go in the first game, first two games, with a full camp and a full offseason of preparation right? Um, this is a totally different animal. You know, these guys were home for most of the off season. The camp they had was kind of abbreviated, interrupted, then they came back and they're on campus and there's nobody there. And it's all just, it's a very wonky, weird situation. You can see how that, that definitely affected the players uh, from a preparation standpoint, that, that, that interruption in preparation and in many cases, lack of preparation just because they weren't in a position to, to do any prep. Um, that lack of preparation definitely affected their performance. Um, but not, you know, ultimately they came out with the win. Um, they, they cleaned that stuff up in the second half, like you said, and it, it turned out the way that it should have turned out. It just should have, it should have looked that clean from the beginning. And I attribute a lot of those hiccups to kind of the wonky um, once in a lifetime off season that they had. EJ, what about you? What were uh, the biggest takeaways that you had from this game? I think for me, mine is kind of, opposite of, of Mike's and uh and honestly I mean offense is going to be a little bit tougher uh to pick up uh when you're had a situation like we've had in this offseason where they haven't had been able to build that cohesiveness yes I mean it's it's kind of the same offense that we had last year but kind of being away from everyone not being able to practice not being able to go through the motions uh can hurt you but I on defense what I saw is I saw a team that was blitzing with purpose and I saw a team that executed uh, a lot better uh on some of the pressures and just the uh overall base defense than they did last year I mean you saw guys out there more confident you saw guys talking you didn't see guys being as frantic uh, when the offense was checking the play. So um, I really like the composure of the guys and I like their ability to go out there and execute. Uh, I wouldn't say that anything too exotic uh, was called. Definitely saw some different looks than we saw last year. But I mean, the guys went out there and they just executed. So I I was really encouraged with that. Yeah, going off the point that Mike, you had made saying how kind of wonky this season is. This season, the you always get the sayings, you know, just win, baby, win from Al Davis, survive in advance from Jim Valvano. But this season feels like that, especially uh, the ACC already has a great deal of unpredictability to it. But I think you're seeing it in college football, especially with everybody having to deal with COVID, not knowing who's going to be in, who's going to be out. Um, You had Iowa State, a top 25 team lose. You had Georgia Tech go into Florida State and the Seminoles. So I think this year, more than ever, you could live with some of the mistakes as long as your team finds a way to win. And I was, I kind of went into the game thinking like, yeah, I want Carolina to put on a show, put on a clinic, you know, score 60 points and absolutely destroy um, Syracuse. But by going into halftime, I was like, this team just needs to find any possible way to win. So it was nice to see Carolina make the adjustments and find a way to win this game. And Mike, I know when you're watching game, you're locked into the offensive line. Not too many people are doing that. So what did you see from them as they had to deal with not having Joshua Azudu, who, like we mentioned last week, is probably their most important lineman with the versatility he brings starting at left guard and then also being a backup tackle? 
Yeah, so what, what I saw, the biggest, the biggest struggle area for me was twists and then getting off on linebackers in the running game. So twists in the pass game and getting off on linebackers in the running game. And it's, you know, it's ho-hum. It's a broken record, you know, every single year, every offensive line. You know, the ones that, the ones that struggle or if you, if you have to nitpick issues in the lines that are playing well, those are usually the two areas where you see there are problems. Um, and if, if, there are, if there are problems to find. Um, I thought the offensive line on the whole, again, given the weird offseason, uh, given the fact they hadn't seen any of these blitz packages at least run by these players, right, from Syracuse uh, on film or, or previously in any previous season for the guys that had played, I thought the offensive line generally played pretty well and made adjustments. We saw the second half um, the sort of kind of, you know, blew the doors off really mostly in the fourth quarter, but you, you felt it starting, you know, about second possession in the third quarter, you felt – um, you kind of felt the tide shift a little bit, and you saw things starting to click and light bulbs going off. And uh, and that was across the whole team, uh, or at least the whole offense. I agree with EJ. I think the defense played substantially better than I would have expected them to play under the circumstances. But in terms of the offensive line, I saw those light bulbs going off about the second possession of the third quarter, um, and they started cleaning some of that stuff up. The first half, um, you know, they struggled on twists, and, and the reason why they struggled on twists was because they didn't have a ton of time to work together in the offseason. So the guys that were playing next to each other just didn't have that kind of time to really get comfortable next to the guy they were playing with, right? And that's – you see that discomfort, right, between offensive linemen. Like if you see a new lineman get, get subbed into a game mid-game, the, 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 the problem you're probably going – you're most likely going to see, you're going to see issues passing off twists. That's something that, that guys just have to have a feel for each other. Um, you really are two dancing bears working in tandem. And if one person is off by a half step or they're not in perfect rhythm and in sync with the guy next to them, you're going to see issues with twists. And that's just, I think that's just what you saw. And they started, they, you know, you saw the guys that were playing with each other. You know, they, they got more comfortable as the game went on. And again, about, about second possession midway through the third quarter, you saw that, that comfort level start to develop. And the issues with the twist stopped. Um, the same thing happens on double teams in the run game, getting up to the linebacker. First half, we were struggling with that. We weren't running the ball great. When we did, you know, we did snap off. Uh, I think it was, um, um, I think it was Mike snapped off a, um, a a big, a big run. Right, got us down like the two yard line, and it um, it got called back for a hold. That's the kind of stuff you see early in the season normally. But again, in an off season like this, where you didn't have a ton of preparation, you know, guys are a step slower. You add in the first game fatigue. Right, which is always there. Guys are always gassed first game of the year, especially on the O line. Um, and then you factor in the fact that they didn't really have much of an off-season conditioning program. All of this plays into the two main problem areas really being exacerbated, kind of kind of put under the spotlight in a game like this. And that's passing off twists and getting up to the second level on double teams. Now that other teams have that kind of formula to try to attack this Carolina offensive line, like you mentioned. Uh, with the twists and with the stunts, how worrying is it that you're putting this on film? And it was something that I was kind of looking forward to seeing how they played without Charlie Heck, um, because you're trying to replace a guy like him. You look at how Carolina played last year, Wake Forest, he breaks his hand early, then he misses the App State game. Those were two games that Carolina really struggled to move the ball. And, you know, when you're if this wasn't Syracuse, this Carolina team could have been in trouble uh, with a better team trying to put them away. And it, as we talk about, you know, Carolina's trying to take this next step and 
what they did in the first half isn't going to be good enough to beat these elite teams that Carolina is trying to get to. So how concerning is it to not have a guy like Charlie Heck on the offensive line where you could look at him as the anchor and be like, this is our guy. He, we know he knows all the calls and he's going to put us in the right spot. So kind of how are you looking at that as an offensive lineman? Well, you lean on that guy. Um, and it, you know, every, every season that's differently, you know, and, and if you're lucky, you have a few of those guys. Um, you know, when I played, we had Cam Holland, who was, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a walking, a walking CPU right there in the middle of the line there at center. Um, and, and, you know, before him, you know, we had Lowell Dyer, right. And Lowell was, was, was just a brain right there in the middle. And I always knew we could rely on those guys to get us set up where we needed to be. Um, mental errors weren't, weren't the issues with those guys. Um, so you're right. You know, you, you, you rely on them a lot, um, especially early in the season to make sure that everybody's getting put in the right spot. So you can kind of get the, you know, you can have the, the, the mental aspect of it maybe minimized so you can focus more on your technique um, and, and focus more on the man in front of you and winning your individual battle. So, yeah, no, you're, 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 you're right. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's a huge detriment to, to not have that senior leadership, but I promise there's a guy in that room that they're relying on uh, who is doing that for them. Um, it's just all those guys have to get comfortable playing with each other. And that's just going to take a, that, that's, I mean, point blank, it's just going to take a few games. Um, when you don't, you know, these are essentially with no fans in the stands, uh, with no off-season prep, uh, with a weird training camp, right? With not knowing who you're going to have day in, day out with COVID, right? There's a ton of distractions. There's, you know, there's there, there's 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 societal distractions right now too. You know, guys, you know, these are young guys and they're getting pulled in a million different directions. And um, the the ones that are going to be successful, are the ones that are going to focus up the quickest. Um, you know, not knowing if you're going to lose a guy to COVID every single week. Um, you know. It, we already talked about only having six guys right now in the real depth chart for the offensive line. All of those things are weighing on guys, right? So I'm sure that somebody has emerged as the brain of the group, right? But you're, you're exactly right that there is always that one guy you rely on. And if you don't have him, it's, it's going to be tough sweating. DJ, uh, for you, both lines were a question mark heading into this game. And although Syracuse, they don't have the best offense by any means. The D-line really showed out in its performance. The front seven combined for seven sacks. They held Syracuse to just 1.9 yards per rush. What did you see from them and guys like uh, Tamari Fox and Ray Vahasik specifically? Ray Vahasik is the guy that I really want to talk about. I mean, we talked about in our last podcast how you're able, um, how our coach wants to move uh, Tamari around and not really keep him in the same spot on on different plays just so the defense doesn't really know how to block him. But the reason he's able to do that is because of guys like Ray Vahasik. I mean, that guy absolutely caused havoc in the middle of the field or wherever he was. Even uh, the first sack, I think it was the first or second sack that uh, Tamari got was because of the pressure from Ray. And I mean, even um in the uh the, I think there was a long third and twenty play where we were in a three three five prevent defense. I mean you think about it, that guy was making pressure with only three guys rushing. And it was completely impressive to me the way he controlled the line of line of scrimmage. He played in their backfield all game long. I mean, he he jacked the center up. He was jacking up guards. He was jacking up tackles. I think with, with Tamari Fox, I think some of the things that um, I spoke about last week about his pad level, his body control, all of those things have improved drastically. And his 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 chase, his pursuit, his work ethic, his overall talent, nothing's dropped off. And and you can even see with pass rushing, he's gotten a he, he's gotten better. And another person I think that 
allows them to kind of move tomorrow around a little bit is Jaleel Taylor. I mean, it, you, looking at the stat line, you won't see anything that's, that's impressive. But when you turn on the tape, you see him controlling the line of scrimmage. You see him doing his job in pass rush, which is, which is to collapse the pocket pocket and getting the quarterback's face and make it hard for him to throw. And I think that you saw that with uh, DeVito scrambling all day. Now, of course, uh, I'll, I'll get to in a little bit uh, some of the disgust that I had with how we uh, our, our, our rush lane discipline, uh, which allowed him to scramble, which um, really was the biggest part and the only offense that they had consistently all day. So that that line really, really impressed me. I mean, even guys like Zach Gill coming in and, and playing some really, really good minutes, I really did not see any drop-off. So I think there's a lot of depth there on that defensive line uh, that we didn't think that we would have. Granted that we are playing Syracuse, probably not one of our highest uh, quality or caliber opponents that we'll have this year, but just to go out there and for them to not take this game for granted, to go out there and play hard, play their brand of football, and to execute the way they did is very encouraging. And I think it was it, it, it was a collective group, but I would say Ray, uh, Ray was definitely the MVP for me this game. And if he keeps playing and getting better like that, I mean – I think the sky's the limit for this defense because, I mean, we have, I think, two of the best linebackers in the ACC with Jeremiah Gimmel and, of course, Chaz, who could potentially be an All-American this year. So it just really – I just really liked what I saw, especially with the secondary coming out in the second half, playing a little bit more aggressive. Uh, I, I noticed in the first half we were caught out of position, and especially with trips to the boundary, that was really giving us uh, a lot of trouble. But – um, we went in and we made second half adjustments, just like we talked about would be important last week. And it's kind of you saw a consistent play over the game. We gave up a, a couple of field goals early, but we pretty much we pretty much shut them out all game. And I mean, I, that's what I want to see to execute. And I think this game uh, and the next game against uh, Charlotte, I definitely think these will be some confidence builders as we kind of get into the meat of this ACC schedule. Yeah, going back to Ray Vahasic, the play that he just absolutely blew up the center and made the center sack DeVito. That was, mm-hmm. that was one that should be on uh highlight tapes or uh sports center and making all the uh, highlight reels. But you mentioned the that's secondary. A, that's, a, that's, a, that's a center's worst nightmare. That's, mm-hmm. that's what, that's what, that's what EJ did to me in my first NFL game ever. <laughs> it's, it's just the one clip, like when you're in the film room, like, Oh no, please, please just get through this clip as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, we, that's called we, baptism. We, 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 we rerounded. I, I was telling EJ the other day that, that, that my, my first game when I had to line up across from EJ when we were on different teams probably got EJ a whole extra season in the NFL. You welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked a lot like I looked a lot like that poor kid that the Hayes had put on skate. <laughs> EJ, you had mentioned the secondary, and I think the secondary deserves a lot of credit in this game. They held Tommy DeVito to just two of nine passing um, in the second half. They really just took care – they just really made uh, Syracuse look really bad offensively. They couldn't really move the ball. And uh, I think Greg Barnes said it best. He was like, I was more surprised that uh, Syracuse didn't score off one of their turnovers than when they didn't score um, coming – coming off that turnover like once once the returner got tackled he was like okay they're not scoring a touchdown here so I think Greg said it best there but what does it do for a defense when you have that kind of trust in your secondary that they're going to cover and you just have to get after the quarterback 
Oh, it's it's absolutely. I mean, it, it's the most encouraging thing that you could have. I think our defense really changed uh, when I was there. When we added, uh, when we had guys like um, Kendrick Burney, uh, Charlie Brown, Denoris Cersei, uh, Deontay Williams. When we had guys that know that we know that we can be creative but disciplined up front and maybe try some things and pressures and pass rushes that are a little bit more exotic. Um, and, and it's kind of funny. I had this conversation with another one of our former teammates today, uh, Quentin Person, and he was saying that the the the, the front seven. Uh, a corner's dream is to have a great front seven. And a, uh, if you're playing in the front seven, your dream is to have a great secondary. We knew that. And we, we knew that anytime that we, we wanted to go, we were going to go pressure. If something was to happen, we knew that our guys were going to take care of us in the back end. And I think that not only it allows you to, it, it allows you to, to pass rush more aggressively, but it just builds that trust in defense. And I think that to, to see that the cohesion that the guys had out there is really encouraging with the fact that they haven't had a lot of time to practice together. So, I mean, that means everything in the world. I mean, when, when you have a, a, a front line and, and a young group of defensive linemen that we have up front, and even though we have a young secondary, those guys got a lot of experience last year uh, and, and really show very well. So, um, I, I think that moving on through the season, if those guys keep improving and most importantly, if we can stay healthy, I, I think that we can really have a great season defensively. Things around offensively, I think that we can in total have the season that we want to have. Mike, looking ahead to next week, UNC takes on Charlotte. It seems crazy to say with how close the season was to almost not even happening, but how do you avoid a letdown situation against a small school? where the stakes aren't as high as a conference season opening type game? Well, I think they probably learned their lesson against App last year, right? They didn't understand that App was going to come in and win 13 games last year. And, and I mean, frankly, just beat the brakes off Carolina up and down the field the whole game. I mean, uh, the, the score is kind of irrelevant. I mean, Carolina looked terrible against App last year, and that was that was a letdown game, right? I mean, that, that they should have easily won that game, and they, they laid an egg. Uh, so, you know, the guys, you know, the, the core nucleus of guys that are back from last season, they remember that, and they're going to make sure that everybody else remembers it. Um, you know, but the other thing is you just have to make sure that, you know, you don't let the things that you struggled with beat you, you know, this, this week against Syracuse now show up again and beat you again this coming weekend against UNCC. So, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, what's – it's now on film, right? You're, you're – our last our last topic here a few minutes ago you talked about that uh, twist problems and getting off on the second level that stuff for, the, for our offensive line is now on film um, and the point that I think you're getting to is that now there's going to be we're going to see it again and and Carolina's offensive line is going to continue to see that they're going to continue to see TE and ET twists um, frog twists where you've got one side collapsing and your backside three technique um, or your backside nose excuse me looping all the way around to the other to the opposite tackle. Um, you know, you start seeing those those creative twist games up front um, until we stop them, because now it's on film and we've shown that we're gonna, that we can get beat with it. So, you know, the, the the primary way you keep from you know a team like this, a team like Charlotte, coming in and beating you, and you keep from having a letdown is you don't let the things that beat you the previous week beat you again this week, because they're gonna throw it at you. You know, UNCC they have nothing to lose, right? They don't have ACC championship aspirations. They don't have New Year's Six Bowl aspirations. They don't have, you know, they're not they're not eyeing a Notre Dame at the end of the schedule. Um, they're not eyeing a Notre Dame at the end of the schedule and a potentially a potential Clemson matchup. 
in the ACC championship game as really the goals and the, you know, the key wins for them in a season. UNCC is looking at, we won seven games last year. We want to win eight this year or, you know, at least just repeat seven. That's, that's what they're looking for. And if they can come and they can knock off the flagship university, that's huge for them. But the way that they're going to do that from a defensive perspective is they're going to throw everything they can at Carolina. The one thing that Syracuse exposed was that a lot of blitz packages that we weren't necessarily prepared for because we didn't see film on Syracuse, you know, with film of Syracuse doing it, the, you know, last season, the previous year, we are vulnerable uh, in a lot of areas. And a lot of it is your, again, I'm going to go back to it, twists, right? But then bringing pressure off of that. There were several times that I saw, you know, a, a twist over the right or left side, right, with a single backer come through and he would just get left. Um, the, our eyes would get locked on that twist. Guys would get mashed up there. Our, our guard and our tackle would get mashed up. And they wouldn't be able to come off and pass off and get to that linebacker or to create enough of a create enough of a mush down, right, where they could just absorb that, that blitzing linebacker in traffic. And part of that was because their eyes weren't up. And the reason their eyes weren't up was because they felt like they were getting beat. Their first steps were bad in their pass sets, right? And they were opening up little tiny sieves, right, little, little gaps between, between their hips, right? And they were, they were getting pride. You know, one guy was getting pried open, whether it's the tackle or the guard. And they were both then having to just collapse and focus on the two twisters. And they couldn't then focus on the blitzing linebacker, which, which EJ will tell you is exactly how those types of blitz packages are designed. They're designed so that, you know, the, the plan is to have one of the defensive linemen pry open the hip of one of the offensive linemen that forces both offensive linemen to, to hang on for dear life onto the two D linemen. And they can't either pass somebody off or then or mush those two defensive linemen who are twisting down into that linebacker as he's trying to blitz because you got to make a choice at that point, either let the defensive lineman go who has the quickest path to the quarterback so that you can get to that linebacker or you let the linebacker go. So you don't let that defensive lineman go, but either way, somebody's getting free. And we have that kind of stuff on film now. So UNCC is going to throw a lot of that at Carolina this weekend. And, is, and once they stop it, it'll stop. They'll see it quick. They'll see it early and they'll see it a lot. And as long as they can handle it in the first quarter, you know, first, second series of the second quarter, that stuff will go away. But all the things that beat Carolina are coming back to them um, from, an, you know, from, from an offensive player's perspective. All the things that beat them uh, this past weekend against Syracuse, they're coming back this weekend. And the quicker we can shut that down, then the quicker we can go ahead and get back on our game plan and dictate tempo to them. Yeah, these were always my least favorite games, the games against the teams that had nothing to lose. And it's almost like you have to find your own motivation for the week on top of just the just going through the motions on a normal game week. And for us, it was we always used to just call these the the everybody on the bus game where everybody who was getting on the bus, we were going to make sure they were playing. So we would go into uh, the receiver room and um, we would go into the receiver room and it would be guys like Mac and Quinshad, all the starters. And they would be like looking at the guys in the back of the room uh, like me. And they were like, we're going to beat this team so bad we make sure that you get to go in. It was kind of cool just knowing that the starters uh, took um, an extra motivation for this game. And then it also motivated the scout team to give the defense the best look or to give the offense the best look so that they did have a chance to play. Because when you see games like this on the schedule and some of these games uh, got taken away, games like UConn, these are the games that 
the, the walk-ons are going to get the chance to play. These are the games that guys like Jace Reuter and Jacoby Criswell are going to get to play. So I think if you take that kind of mindset of we're going to make sure everyone on this bus plays, it, it goes a long way. But EJ, in your opinion, what do you think Carolina has to do to avoid a letdown situation here? I think that they need to come in and they need to play with the, the same aggression. They need to approach this game as if it was a big-time football game, as if it was another ACC football game. Um, and I think these guys – I think they will do that. I think that with COVID and everything that's going on now, I do think that these guys are placing an extra, extra importance on this game because they not, they don't know if this is going to be the last game of the season or not. But I think the one thing that they do need to focus on in order to make sure that they go in and win this game is that they have to watch this film and be more disciplined with their rush lanes. I mean, they almost play a completely uh, perfect game if it's not for the yards that they gave up uh, to DeVito when he was scrambling. So I think that they need to go in with that same hunger, watch the film, improve on their mistakes and just approach this game and, and prepare for it as if they were preparing for an ACC championship game. But I just, I just have the, I have the feeling with this, with this team, they are, as Mike mentioned, they're going to remember what happened with App State last year, and they're going to remember what it feels like to maybe underestimate an, an opponent. And I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, we saw that with this week, especially defensively. I mean, they, they could have easily let let off the gas at the end of the game and given up some garbage time points to Syracuse, but they didn't. I mean, they they, they shut them out in the beginning of the game. Gave gave up a field goal in the second and third quarter and then shut them out in the fourth quarter. So I think they need to carry that same intensity and whatever's working for them, keep doing it because I really do like what I'm seeing. And I do think that next game we will see them switch some things up and just be a tad more aggressive. And like my, um, like, like you guys were just talking about, they do want to get some of those guys in the game, not only to, to give guys who usually wouldn't play a chance, but to just try to create some depth, some depth, maybe, because I, I know a lot of times when I was younger, when I was sitting to the game, the play calls were not the same. So we, we knew that from the play calls that we're getting that we probably wouldn't get any action in any serious time. So I think if we go out and we get a healthy lead, then uh, the coaching staff will be more comfortable calling some of the more exotic looks, some of the more exotic pressures to get these young guys some real game time action to saying, OK, and we built, we're building that trust that maybe when when things are on the line or things are a little bit more serious or not as comfortable for us, then we can trust you in those situations too. So I, I think that's definitely the things that we need to focus on as we move into uh, a game against the opponent who on paper was not the, the caliber of the, of the program that we are. EJ Wilson, Mike Ingersoll, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, looking forward to another game on Saturday and then wrapping it back up with you guys. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for that. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, joining me now, we have everybody's favorite segment, Glass Half Full, with everybody's favorite former linebacker. It's Shaquille Rashad. Shaq, what was your general takeaways from UNC's 31-6 to win over Syracuse? Uh, I think the biggest takeaway for me that I, I saw was how fast and how like explosive the defense was. Like it, We knew that the defense was going to be a fast one, really athletic, and people can run all over the place. But uh, to see it, it was pretty crazy, and it's exciting, I think. Yeah, I think defensively, that was definitely my biggest takeaway. Offensively, my biggest takeaway was how explosive this UNC team can be especially Syracuse's 3-3-5 defense. They were just trying to take away the deep ball, so Carolina had to rely more on its running game and the short passes. And you have a guy like Michael Carter who just goes off for, I think, like 170 all-purpose yards. What do you think about – what did you think about Michael Carter's performance where he could kind of be the do-it-all X factor for this Carolina team? Yeah, no, I, I think you you hit that on the head. Like he, what was it? I think he had one seventy three all purpose. It was like sixty rushing, forty receiving. He's returning it balls too. It's just it, it's crazy to see how much he can do and and how much he can help the team in so many different places. And I think that that makes it a scary backfield there when you add in what Javante Williams can do as well. Yeah, Carolina solved a lot of their uh, red zone struggles that they had last year. You just hand the ball to Javante Williams, let him kind of do the rest. But Shaq, looking ahead to this week against Charlotte, how do you avoid a letdown performance against a small school? It seems crazy to say, I just said this when I was talking to Mike and EJ, it seems crazy to say that we're talking about, you know, a letdown performance in a season where we didn't even know if there would be a season. We don't know what the future of the season holds, but how do you just avoid that letdown performance coming off a conference season opening game to now a, a small school in UNC Charlotte? Yeah, you have to, uh, I think you just have to make sure that you're focusing on yourself and it sounds like cliche, but you know, kind of no, the, the no faced opponent or whatever that is, the saying is, uh, you just have to make sure you're not playing down to anything. Cause like you said, we are the favorite team. You, you go in on paper and this one shouldn't be close at all. You just have to make sure that you don't treat it that way in your preparation. Yeah, when we used to have these games, I remember guys like Quinshot and guys like Mac and Bug, they would take it upon themselves to be, we want to beat this team so bad that, you know, guys like Vip get in and guys like Dalton Stogner get in and guys <laughs> at the end of the bench get in. Did you guys ever have that in the linebacker room? And do you think this team could kind of have that approach where you have a guy like Chaz Surratt, you don't want Chaz Surratt playing, you know, 90% of snaps or Jeremiah Gemmel playing 90% of snaps. And you kind of do want to see what the young guys have guys like uh, Kadri Jackson and uh, Eugene Asante. Yeah, no, I think that is an approach you can have with the defense as well. It's you want to get in, you want to get your guys, your reps, you are, you're not going to gank them in the middle of the first quarter or anything, but you want to get your starters reps. And then from there, it's see what those young guys can do. You named a couple of them, but there are some really exciting young players on this defense. And I think that there's more depth all over the place now um, than it has been in a while. And then finally, Shaq, we go to you for what does Carolina have to do to win this game against UNC Charlotte? Be themselves. Um, we were just kind of talking about it, but obviously you're rolling in there as a favorite. You don't have to go out and, and play above yourselves or, or try to do anything super special, right? Um, go out there and, and don't be thinking about like stat weeks or wh- whatever it might be. Go in, uh, play your game, be excited, and, and treat the game uh, just like you would any other opponent.
Shakir Rashad, always the best way to wrap up a podcast. Shaq, thanks for coming on. All right. Take it easy, man. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.